In business and life, relationships are everything. Welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, where we interview top business leaders and learn how they build relationships with their teams, clients, and those that promote and refer them. Here's your host, business trainer and leader of the People Catalyst team, Carla Nelson. Welcome so much to uh, the Who Do Method. Uh, thank you guys so much for helping us with our validation study and our beta test. And this is just a chance for us to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, we're going to kind of go through what we're uh, reviewing on the webinar. And the assessment that you took is the assessment that identifies if you're a mover, shaker, prover, and maker. So we're going to go through, you know, there's so much, there's only so much we can cover in an hour, but we're going to really try to get the gist of why this is so critical and how you can utilize that assessment, not only to understand yourself, but then understanding your teams and how to build your teams and understand why it's sometimes like, you know, wading through the mud or pushing a parked car when you're trying to get something accomplished, regardless if you're the team member or you're the manager or the CEO or owner, understanding where people are going to be their best. And we talk about this all the time. The challenge is, is that we're really, really bad at it. Um, and so what this assessment will allow you to do is understand who you are, and then understand your team and how to build teams. So before the webinar is over, um, what we're gonna talk about is what has been missing and what you will learn about business and in life that just understanding your core nature of work is not only going to make you happier because you're gonna be better at doing what you do as well as your team, it will bring you a lot of success along the way. And of course, you know everything's not just about money, we obviously want to build these teams. We spend more time at work than we do with our families. So it's critical, and we'll get into a couple of studies here that are pretty dismal on how challenging uh, our work-life balance is and how we can understand, again, how to build teams and then how to help people not only be happier, potentially bring them along the way as well, because we probably have, I'm, I'm sure we have some CEOs, trainers, sales managers, all sorts of people uh, that are watching the webinar that can utilize this. Heck, it even can help with your, your personal life. I've had a lot of people say, well, now I understand with my, my spouse or my kids why we can tend to butt heads and it's challenging to get things done. We're also going to learn why people tend to judge others very harshly and they often not intentionally, but shine a light on who they aren't and criticize who they aren't instead of shining a light on who they are. And when we step into that, just like kids, you know, we love to be acknowledged. We love to do the things that we're good at. And we, everybody wants to be a part of a winning team. Now we're also going to learn who to go to with your work and then who to avoid with your work based off of what it is you're trying to get done, what your core nature of work is, and that means mover, shaker, prover, maker, and then what everyone else's core nature of work is so that we can put the right people at the right time uh, in the right place doing the right thing. We're also gonna talk about how to cut off 40 to 60% of your cycle in getting things done and get this ever beloved 100% buy-in with the team. Again, sometimes feeling like you're pushing apart Cards taking so long and why isn't this happening? And then, you know, in both challenges with that, because there's challenge when you're a leader with that, but there's also a lot of challenges leadership and managers put on their team simply because they're asking somebody to be someone who they aren't instead of leveraging the person and the core nature of work that they are. So, hey, you guys stay with go ahead. Uh, real quick, can I uh, introduce you real quick to everybody we have? Uh, uh, hey, that's in? great. Yeah, we wanted, I wanted to jump in so quickly. I know everybody probably, they watched the assessment, so I've seen a little bit about uh, who we are in the People Catalyst, but uh, sure, go for it. Uh, well, I'll just start off with introducing you. Uh, this is Carla Nelson, a serial entrepreneur extraordinaire. She first started out um, as an entrepreneur, uh, started her first business as 20 with a mortgage brokerage. And uh, by the time she's in her mid-20s, I uh, had a, a, a pretty successful own building, over 20 employees, and uh, very successful. And it morphed into a financial services organization in 2008. Uh, 
uh, with the downturn that happened back then. So worked in financial services with a lot of different aspects there. And since then has been involved in multiple tech companies and, uh, and a couple different startups, a uh, product company and several others. So just a serial entrepreneur who's been working for uh, many years. I won't tell you how many since she was 20, but for many years now. A lot, a lot. And let me tell you, I learned more in that downturn of 2008 because all those clients that we built for years and years, when they ended up with two or three companies, real estate, commercial, residential, trying to figure out how we were going to help them survive was pretty darn stressful, but you learn more uh, in the downturn than you actually do when, it, when it's a little bit easier, for sure. So, so, in, uh, so and then how about I introduce Alan, and then I'll introduce you. I'll do them both. How's that? Sounds great. All right, so if you haven't heard of Alan Fadner experienced him, you're totally missing out. Uh, Alan has been working and teaching and training uh, for, gosh, the better part of, what, 30 years, Alan? Maybe even a lo little bit longer than that. You started out um, in an ad agency. He's won multiple, multiple international awards. He's written eight books. Um, he's had the opportunity to work with a lot of celebrities like Bill Murray and uh, Mike Feck. And you didn't you even own a baseball team with Bill Murray for a while? Yes. Am I muted? No, you're not. Okay. <laughs> I'm muted on my screen. And, and the best part about Alan is he used to be a stand-up comedian. So he can always bring, you know, the light and making a joke and having a good time. And so, um, and just so you know, I am the chief mover. I am a mover shaker. Um, and I am the CEO of People Catalyst. Alan is a co-founder and he is a shaker. He is an uber idea innovator. And we'll get into what all that means a little bit more. You saw a little bit on the assessment, but we're gonna go deeper into that so that you can understand this based off 100, over 100 years of marketing research, somewhere in between 100 and 110, the law of diffusion of innovations. And then we have our chief prover on the team because we do not work without having a team. Mover, shaker, and Kevin is our prover. So Kevin gets to poke all the uh, holes into our technology. He has been a pilot for almost 30 years. Uh, he uh, teaches other pilots how to run recon missions. Uh, he served in Afghanistan as well as in Iraq. Very dedicated soldier and a technology guru. And he's been now training and being a part of our leadership team for about, gosh, the better part of seven years now, right? As we, and we started out uh, with the People Catalyst that we, we were working directly with some of these companies like these, right? So high touch, being there with them, live training. Well, as you know, technology has changed. It has allowed us to do this and reach out to hundreds and hundreds of people. So up until now, the last two years, we've really been uh, pressing and using technology in order to grow uh, not only the business, but then also being able to reach out to smaller companies that might not have a huge innovation or R&D budget. And so one of the things we're going to offer you by helping us um, get our validation done with this beta test is, is that you stick with us and we're going to give you an online training that we've built that we sell for uh, just under $2,000. Just as a thank you, we would love for you to share the assessment with your family, share it with your colleagues, share it with your friends, um, because the sooner we get this uh, validation study completed, obviously the happier we're going to be because then we can move on uh, to other things. So. All right, so the reason why this is so important is because the way we work has not changed since the 19th century. We are in the 21st century and we're using a way to work that is only 1% of the population. So 100% of the work, and this is funny, Alan, how many times have we looked at job descriptions and just been, this is, they just dump it and stick it go, oh wait, uh, it needs to get done, so let's just put it in the job description. And the challenge is only 1% of the population is made to do this. And that 1% is actually like your utility infielder. So they're actually better at not filling one role. They're good at filling the sub roles as you're doing work. So why are we doing this? It, it doesn't have to be this way. There's an absolutely better way to do this. The thing is, is that we have focused this on our customers and getting our customers to use our products before figuring out what part of this can work internally with your team before going out uh, to your customers. 
So this is why we aim to revolutionize the way work is done. It doesn't have to be this way. And thank you guys so much for joining us in revolutionizing work. So one of my not favorite studies, but it's glaringly obvious anytime we do uh, any type of marketing or online marketing, uh, the podcast that you can take a look, this study gets a ton of attention. And the reason why I think it gets a ton of attention is because when people read that roughly 70% of Americans aren't engaged, this goes up to 89%, I think, internationally. And in China, it gets into the numbers of like 93%, um, that it would change the world we work in for the better. So why do 70% of people get up every day and do something they don't like? And it's probably why we saw this walking outside of a restaurant, this I actually think Jim Carrey, or I can't remember, there's a comedian that used to say this all the time, but now it's everywhere. Um, and I think it's hilarious. It's, oh, you hate your job? Why didn't you say so? There's a support group for that. It's called Everybody and they meet at the bar. And so how does 70% of people, you know, hating their job, to think about how it affects their health, how it affects their family life, uh, every aspect of their life, right? Because as I said before, we spend more time with our colleagues and our team members than we do anywhere else. So we have a dream that what if people at work replaced this place sucks with adding one word, leaving this place sucks because they enjoy what they're do, doing. They're good at it and they're rewarded uh, for being a part of a winning team. And we'll also talk a little bit, if we have enough time at the end, about we call this leadership, but we expect only our early adopters really to have those leadership examples. And the truth is we all lead. A mover, a shaker, a prover, and a maker, we are all leaders. The one thing that we miss, and write this down if you have a piece of paper, we all lead at a different time in the work, but we have to be given that freedom to lead at the time by which that corner nature of work is needed in the work that is needed to be done. So everybody's heard about agile. Now this is something that is not new in the tech industry and tech is just, well, look at it here. Um, this was Forbes and it was a study that they did that uh, McKinsey did that they reported on, which says, with the growing recognition that Agile is eating the world. Now, this is not just here, it's eating the world. And remember, technology companies have been doing this for 20, uh, 20 years. Surveys by Deloitte and McKinsey show that more than 90% of seniors, senior executives give high priority to becoming Agile, with only less than 10% of firms that are saying they're agile. So they're saying we've got this big gap. How do we move quickly? How do we you know, kind of operate like some of the smaller guys that we've had the opportunity to work with versus when you're working with a huge organization, it's harder to be agile. There's a hundred different technologies you can take a look at, but the biggest reason is this, because they don't have the right people at the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing. Here's our strategy. We put everybody in a room. Good luck. Let's see how that turns out. And Alan, I always think of the story, if you want to take two seconds to say it, the 37 to 36, because that was a straight innovation team. I mean, their, their job there was to be, right, innovative. Well, 37 to 36, that was my report at the end of a two-hour meeting. They said, observe our meeting and see how we're doing on innovation. I said, 37 to 36, and they said, what? What kind of report is that? And I said, well, it's simple. There were 37 ideas launched and 36 of them were shot down. And the one that wasn't shot down was the very last meeting or idea of the meeting. And you can imagine how they declined in quality over the two hours. And so the thing they just, they accepted was just so they could get out of the meeting. And that's the way a lot of meetings are. And, and as Carla was saying, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, exactly. And how many people on the call, and you can, you can chat and Kevin actually monitors the chat. It's too hard for me to monitor the chat um, while I'm, I lose my focus in connecting with um, our, our viewers here. So, but when that happens, the likelihood that that last idea, anything happened to it is not likely. In fact, it starts creating a culture that isn't innovative because everybody then says, sit tight, don't make any sudden moves. Nothing's going to change anyway. Cause we were just in that meeting last week, the last time the CEO had a new idea. Right. And so 
80, or 84% of executives say their future success is dependent on innovation. Now, we started talking about this, what, Alan, probably 20 years ago yes. because Agile, um, but then 15 years ago, you really started hearing about innovation. And then we started seeing companies like Amazon and Apple really take off. And so I would guess in the last 10 years, right? it's been a huge conversation it's and it's greater because the more technology we have then you know the more we're going to talk about and disruptive innovation and the ability to disrupt right yes but this is an interesting story everybody knows this story uh a blockbuster video they refused to innovate actually when those red boxes were coming out and you know you kept on seeing them roll up their stores and roll up their stores their ceo who was a prover actually and said oh no way we're the largest video store in the uh country I, and i don't think they're the world i think there was only country wasn't nine thousand stores in the u.s alan nine thousand yeah. And now, last year when we did this, there were three stores left, two in Alaska, one in Bend, Oregon. Since the two in Alaska have closed up and the one in Bend, Oregon is still open because the only DVDs that they continue to have there are the ones that you cannot get live streaming anywhere. So they've even innovated with Smart. an old model and a retail model. What was that, Alan? Smart. The Smart. Are in the niches. Exactly. And it just shows that if you do innovate and take a look at what you have, how you can, you know, uh, adjust to what the marketplace is. But the thing about this is it takes a team. Like there's the person that comes up with the idea is not the one that likes to run with the idea, is not the one that likes to poke the holes in the idea and not the one who likes to do the same thing over and over again. And so, and that's why 70% of CEOs find it difficult to get the innovation skills that they need. There's not, a, but because they, they look at it as if Jeff Bezos is the one who innovated all of Amazon. Alan, that didn't happen. I mean, you work directly with him. That, that, and by the way, Amazon lost money for 19 years, right? So yeah. this is, and if you don't understand, and by the way, Amazon uses this process. So, um, if you do not know how to leverage a team, innovation gets really hard because coming up with the idea, again, doesn't take it all the way to repeating the idea. Uh, one of our favorite quotes is by Warren Buffett. I hate innovation. So the reason why is because he just likes to print money over and over again, invest in those companies that have already found a proven system, right? But that's not innovation. He hates innovation, yet he is the one of the he is the largest investor i think in the world so in that same study that 77 percent of ceos find it difficult to get the innovation skills they need they ranked innovation number one in their top business priorities moving into the next year so we got we have a big gap here that really is what our why is and it's to revolutionize the way work is done so innovation can be easy at least it can be a lot easier than the way that we look at it now Oh, here we go. I didn't even realize what my next slide was. But um, it is one of our favorite uh, innovators, Peter Drucker. Innovation is easy. Just put people in teams. It just is that nobody knows how to do it. And that is what we're talking about, putting people in the right teams, doing the right thing. Did you want to piggyback on Peter Drucker at all, by the way? Well, I just think he was probably uh, not only one of the highest regarded uh, business uh, authors, uh, but he's also one of the most direct. And, uh, you know, he did, he uh, just tells it like it is. And I thought this was a, a beautiful quote because yeah. he just, just he sums got, it up. Yeah, Here you go. Got the paradox captured right there. Exactly. Until the now, by the way, because that is what the Hoodoo Method is about. That is what this assessment is about, is to identify who you are, who's on your team and how you can make innovation easy so that not only can you make money and be successful, but that you can live a successful life and be happy doing what you're doing and shine a light on what others are too. So the first myth is that we hear all the time is that it looks hard. Okay, so at first glance, you're taking all these questions, you know, but really after you take some time to get into it, you'll realize that this process that was built over, you know, 100 plus years of marketing research um, is common sense. And, and we're all we're doing is giving words to processes that we already know and believe in. 
Um, if you read Jeffrey Moore's Crossing the Chasm, if you read si Simon Sinek, Start With Why, if you read uh, The Tipping Point, I, Malcolm Gladwell, I think, did that one. Yes. All of these books, these bodies of knowledge are based off of this same exact marketing research. The difference is, is that Simon Sinek was the only one to get close enough to say, what language are you using so you can identify your target customer? What we forgot to do is utilize this process internally with our team. And so the law again we're talking about is the law of diffusion of innovations. And that is how people adopt new ideas, regardless if it's a marketing idea or if it's a, we're going to hire a person to take, you know, a certain amount of a, of a um, piece of a job description. All of this is still adopting new ideas. It's just adopting ideas internally in your business and within your team. So 2.5% of the population, these are our innovators. These are the Allens of the world that stood in line for eight hours for the first yeah. iPhone or something. So these people love, <laughs> what's that? Only to find out I'd paid $200 too much for it. You yeah, know what, exactly. I didn't care. I got an extra month before they cut the price with the most elegant piece of technology ever designed. And I think the success of the iPhone over the last uh, uh, 12 years has, has borne that out. But I am an yeah. idiot. I sat in line for eight hours. Just Innovators love new things. They love ideas, okay? And then the 13.5%, these are your early adopters. So these are the ones that are like, hey, I'm not going to wait in, in line for eight hours for the iPhone. I'm going to wait two months later, and I still want the piece of uh, technology. But I'm, it's okay. I don't have to be the first person. I don't want to wait in line for eight hours for that. Um, and if you notice, you add these together, what magic number does we come up with, Alan? 16. 16%. Remember, um, Jeffrey Moore's crossing the chasm. All of them say, in your market place and in your market share. Now, remember, think of market share as your team, who you're working with in order to get things done. This same method applies, that you have to get to that 15% of your team, your marketplace, whatever you are trying to get people to adopt before the pendulum shifts that you can move on then to the early majority which is 34 percent late majority 34 percent and our laggards here that are will you know never ever get an electric car until the last gas station on the planet ceases to exist so did you want to add anything the, uh, on that? early adopters too is that 16 percent correlates also correlates neatly with David Reisman's The Lonely Crowd, where he established about 15 to 16% of the people have what's called an internal locus of control. So think about that. The earliest adopters are marching to the beat of their own drummer. And the other people are waiting in various stages for them to make things more comfortable and plow the ground so that they then can take their turn in adopting. And why this is so critical is you need to have all of these people on your team. You need to utilize and expect them to do a different part of the work differently because all of their core natures of work are different. But if you take a new idea to somebody that's in the late majority, you're not going to have the opportunity to get it to a point they're ever going to accept it. There's only 15% of the population that will say yes to an idea, and we'll get that get to that in a minute. Okay, Alan, you want to take this? Yes. So basically, our own research has, has correlated neatly with the fusion of innovation, but you'll notice that the, uh, uh, the, the verticals, early adopters and late adopters, is really the, the, uh, on the graph that we just showed you. About 50% of the world is early adopters, meaning innovators, early adopters, and early majority. Then the other 50% is, is um, late majority and laggards. Well, there's, there's more to it than that. And what we did was we crossed it with uh, thinkers and doers. And uh, a thinker is somebody who wants to talk about ideas. They've discussed the idea. Once they agree, they think the meeting is over. And of course it's not because nobody knows how they're gonna get it done. And that's what doers do. Doers think about doing, not just about the idea, but how are we gonna get it done? So the world is about 60% thinkers and about 40% doers. So that's, uh, that's the model that the hoodoo method is uh, built on. And if you're an early adopter doer, you're a mover. If you are an early adopter shaker, that's the person who comes up with ideas, 
uh, early adopter thinker, you are a shaker. If you are a later adopter uh, thinker, you are a prover, that's a person who questions ideas and tells you what's gonna go wrong. And if you are a later adopter doer, you're a maker and that's somebody who doesn't even wanna be in the meeting. They just, they just wanna do their work and be left alone and don't bring any crazy new ideas in there and disrupt my day, thank you very much. And then there's a oneer, and oneer is a the 1% who the who the work of today is made for which is like you started it you finish it well this one percent can both start it and finish it they can hand off to themselves because they've got all the the skills but they don't have the great extreme strengths that say a pure shaker or a pure mover and so forth would have so but there's a person who can fill in on your team when you don't have someone they can choose which role they're going to play and play them equally well, but here are the other 99% for whom work is not made. We need to change the way we work. Yes, and the reason you see the remote control buttons is because it's shakers, the power button, they shake things up. A mover moves things forward, they're a fast forward button. The prover says, hey, 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 let's rewind here. We, we maybe forgot about a couple things. And then the maker is the play button, the one person that can just eat checklists for breakfast every day and be fine with that and do a great job at all of the details. Now, how do we feel when we do weak work versus peak work? Well, weak work is what sucks us of our love for life and all things that, in, that give us energy, right? Weak work is the opposite of weak work, which is feeling in the zone, feeling like, oh my gosh, I just nailed this day. And that was so awesome. An example I used about this is I love connecting people. And one of my friends called me, I was getting on an airplane and in less than a half an hour, I was able to get him on, you know, two or three news shows, get him interviewed on a couple podcasts. And it was nothing for me, but yet Kevin will attest to this have me vet a new piece of technology and I just go crazy. I just, it's, I'm a mover. It's not my core nature of work. Asking me to do that is like asking me to wallow in the mud or push a parked car. Now, sometimes we have to do that, but it's important to understand who you are and where you're spending your time and how much you're spending your time in each because if each of your day was 50% week work, so we were spending four hours out of your day, uh, out of an eight hour a day position. What you, a lot of us work less than, or more than that, but 50% week work and 50% peak work. How do you guys think that that would measure out as far as your output on the work? And it's pretty much staggering. You would think it would be 50-50, right? Then 50% is your week work, 50% is your peak work. The truth of the matter, it's 90-10. So it takes half of your day, right? to do and you wallow through it and you go super fast through the work and, and it's easy and it only takes 10% of your day, right? And I don't know what the math is on that because that's eight hours. <laughs> I don't have a calculator in front of me. And then it takes the rest of the 90% of your day to do all those things that you don't like. The one thing that then you look at the email or you, you answer your phone when you know you should be working on something else that you put on the checklist. The truth of the matter is, it's better just to find the other person on the team that's going to do that, and it's only going to take 10% of their day because of their core nature of work. And here's a fun story of a company that we worked with. It was an oil and gas company, right, Alan? Right. Yes, and there were uh, two guys up in Alaska, and uh, you can imagine how miserable that would be in the winter with uh, no sunlight at all, and they were pretty miserable themselves. And um, Sean was a, a shaker, that's a made up name, Sean, but the S is for shaker. And Peter was a prover. Now, the common wisdom is you, is you train a bunch of people for the same job. And then, you know, when you add another person, they do the same job again. And most of them start something and they finish it. That's the way it's supposed to be. Now, here's a little interesting telling thing. Sean, as a shaker, loved part of his job and hated the other part. The part he loved was called, they were in IT and it was called help desk. And somebody comes and has a problem and uh, he solves it. Somebody brings him a different problem. 10 minutes later, he solves it. It's just full of variety and he loves that. But then the other half of his job was server maintenance. Boring, just sitting in a room alone somewhere trying to make sure all the servers went 
ran correctly, and uh, he hated that. And now Peter, he hated his job too, uh, because half of his work was help desk, and he was just the opposite. Peter, a prover. Provers don't like to be interrupted. And Peter would sit in his office, and some idiot would call him up and can't start his computer. And plug it in, you idiot! And so you know, this was nobody liked this at all. And uh, but Peter loved loved server maintenance. It was elegant. Nobody's bothering him. He could kind of think things through. He had a lot of time. And uh, so each of them hated half their work but they hated the different halves and they loved the different halves. So, you know, you can figure out the uh, solution. Sean, the shaker, we had him do all, all the help desk because he loved it. And we put a sign on Peter's door. They were right next to each other. And by the way, they didn't like each other very much. And uh, so Peter got to put up a sign though that said, uh, help desk, see Sean the little arrow next door. And he was happy about that. And now uh, Peter, relieved of all his help desk responsibilities, got to do nothing but server maintenance, which he loved. So now Sean and Peter are both doing 100% of the work they love. It's getting done way faster because again, the 90-10 thing, you uh, do the work you're great at much faster. And so they didn't have nearly as much stress in their jobs and uh, they even liked each other, well, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> At least they didn't have to talk to each other if they didn't want to. But can you imagine all the challenge, the strife, the frustration? They had worked together for a long time in Alaska, and it was just understanding their core nature of work and what pieces of the work they love to do and separating those things that improved the culture, the morale, the quality of the work, and their quality of life on top of it. And the two things that cost businesses more than anything are a bad hire, not the right hire, and turnover. So those two things, it was critical to this company was really trying to work and make their culture better. They did a lot more than that with the process, but it's just the little things that if you could do that across the work, that it's, again, the first myth that we talked about, it looks hard in the beginning, but if you just keep on digging deeper, you'll start realizing these funny truths. It's why everybody laughs when we tell the stories, because it's almost like it's obvious, but nobody's done anything about it. And so the key here is what we call role management. What we've been taught is function management, and that's a job description. We've got these functions, or it's the people that don't show up for the meeting, and then we go, oh, well, we'll put that guy there. And the challenge is that everybody needs to be in the right order based off of the two functions that are two um, um, stages, which is ideation, what are we going to do, and implementation, how can we get to the point of repeating something over and over again with uh, when we understand our results, right? Now you've got the early adopter side all the way down to the late adopter side. So it's critical. We need everyone. We need you at a different time. And so when we mess up this order, everything blows up because we cancel each other's work out not on purpose. We just can't deny who we are. And so we think it's personality. Well, guess what? At the, the object of the exercise is to get something done. Not It's good to get along. There's a lot of personality profiles that can help you do that. But at the end of the day, the object of the exercise is not to sing kumbaya. It's to get something done in your business. Spoken like a true mover, by the way. <laughs> the other thing we hear all the time is it's going to take too much time. The truth of the matter is here, not learning it will take you way more time, way more frustration, way more headaches uh, than it will in learning it. And that's regardless if you're learning it to understand who you are. So if you're a business owner or if you're learning it so that you can utilize it in your business or if you're learning it. So ultimately, you can get to the point of teaching and training somebody else in it. So the first to do anybody know what this is? And Kevin, you can, I know you muted yourself. If I can't see the, uh, I can see there's a whole bunch of people chatting. I always see is the numbers, but if any, if you want to jump in with anything that anybody has or compile some questions at the end, that'd be great. So do you want to tell the story of the first who do, Alan? We, yeah. did, we did have one person that I, uh, in a private message, we had Aaron come in and tell us the, uh, that identify it correctly. I won't let, let the cat out of the bag for Alan, but uh, Aaron did get it right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Aaron. Back in the early 1900s, when they were first building automobiles, it used to be that it, it was a great parallel for the way we do intangible work today. 
they were doing a lot of tangible work. You know, we had huge manufacturing and everything and they were building cars. So the way you do this, it's, it's just very much like the one it's like, okay, you started it, you finish it. Each person in a factory would build one car from beginning to end. They'd have this big pile of parts in front of them. They'd assemble a car and it would take them on average about 12 hours to assemble a car. Now, what they, Henry Ford did in 1911, I think it was, or 12, is he, he uh, in his Highland Park factory, standardized the parts, put in a conveyor belt, and he took the production time of a car, and is, is, what's next, the cost? Uh, oh, okay, he cut it from one hour, or 12 hours to one hour and 26 minutes. That's about one eighth the time simply by handing off, you know, one person did all the transmissions, another person did all the, the tires, another person did all the engines, and they got very, very good, and they were very good at what they did to begin with, and they handed it off to the next person. Now, when they started this, and you assembled the car in 12 hours, the car cost the consumer about $4,000. Now, because they were able to cut almost 90% of the time out of manufacturing a car, they were able to get the cost of the car down to $600. Suddenly, even Ford's workers could afford the car. And just to make sure, uh, his uh, CFO convinced him to double the salaries of each worker. So when people bought cars, well, then you needed gas stations. And they traveled with the gas stations and they could get gas so then you needed hotels and restaurants it drove the whole economy from about 1912 to about 1929 we had a booming economy simply based on one concept but nobody did it for intangible work there. that's what we're doing right now and that's the crux is intangible work is different than tangible work. And that's why the closest thing that we've even seen to this that still doesn't identify who is on your team and what part do they need to do is the uh, Ford Motor Company in the assembly line and that back, way back then. And today it's all in technology. So when you see agile, it's applied to technology. When you talk innovation, it's applied to technology. And they have been using some processes. It just hasn't made it to the intangible, which is the service-based industries. Um, any, I mean, we worked with dentists all the way to trainers, all the way to just, you know, it's really contextual because the work doesn't, uh, it doesn't matter what type of business you're in. People are different. They're going to do different parts of the work in different ways, but with something tangible, it's a lot easier than it intangible. And the more that we're on webinars, getting our training online, right? Using different technologies to integrate them. All of this makes that intangible work actually even harder to do if you don't understand the method and frustrating. So we always, you know, like to do more with less. And how does it feel more? How, to, how does it feel to do more with less? Yay! Alan actually took, how long did you take to do that in Photoshop? You don't want to know. <laughs> There's awesome. a shaker for you. I'm a shaker. Do not do maker work if you're a shaker, it'll drive you crazy. But sometimes shakers fall in love with their own ideas. And so they put themselves through through uh, awful times just to try to just to try to get it implemented. So you look at that chin and all those lines, how many how many attempts that took. So uh, <laughs> I, always I always tell people, uh, please just imagine for a moment how long that took and how many I can't because I'd not do it I would have to get somebody else to do it <laughs> that's funny I don't have the skills to do it so but uh okay so you know what the biggest challenge that we run into um really is this conflict and this pulling back and forth and not understanding you know why each core nature of work fits into what we'll talk about in a little bit is the relay team. And so what ends up happening is we end up just the conflict of being who we are by nature and what part of the work we do naturally, then we run into what we call, we break it down into red light, green light, and yellow light relationships. So the first part of the red light, green light, yellow light relationship is understanding these four core natures of work that we talked about. And obviously we're not gonna cover the oneer here because a oneer can, you know, 
input themselves into a lot. Now, they need to understand the core nature of work. Why? Because it's really important for them to understand who they are working with and how they can best utilize the team's core nature of work and their own. And so with a, being a mover, shaker, approver, or a maker, our green light relationships are our movers and shakers. And the reason why we call them a green light relationship is because the input for a, a shaker is reality. They like to look at something and come up with new ideas. And, and for a shaker, they come up with the idea, it's already been done. Uh, you'll identify a shaker if they, you know, uh, if they go, oh, I thought about that 10 years ago. Well, okay, but you know, there's a lot more that has to happen, right, with that process. And so, but for me as a mover, my input is ideas. So input for a shaker is reality a challenge, of an issue, how you can think of big ideas. The output is ideas. My input is ideas. So movers and shakers get along brilliantly, okay? The next group here are the provers and the makers. So you can see in the bottom right-hand corner, the green light relationship. Provers love makers because provers like to make the rules, okay? So provers like to go in and say, no, that's not gonna work. Uh, you didn't think about this, you haven't thought about this around the corner. And the reason provers get along with um, makers is because the output for a prover is the plan and makers like to eat checklists for breakfast. So it's really critical that you understand the inputs and the outputs. And I'll get to the um, mover and prover outputs and inputs in just a second here as we work through the different uh, red light, yellow light, and green light relationship. Now we've got our red lights, okay? These are our makers and shakers, guys. These are from different planets, okay? So putting Alan in with somebody that wants to follow an exact checklist and know exactly what's going to happen and repeat that day in and day out, you're asking them completely to be two different people that they don't understand. Now, if you understand the process, at least you can work with the process and get other people to then buffer that area. And in a moment, I'll let you, uh, and we'll get in a little bit, you can be a solopreneur and do this. You don't have to have a huge team. You just need to understand the process. One thing that, go ahead. I want to point out is notice that there's one little difference here, an anomaly, uh, and that is the shaker and the shaker. Notice there's a red yeah. light there. And the That's reason for that- We should called, highlight that one. Yes, it's called Not Invented Here. You've heard of that. It's kind of like, well, that's a really nice idea, but I have six more ideas and I like mine better. So let's forget about yours. Mm -hmm. So well, it's critical- cases in a room fight also, but it's, it's about who's, whose idea is gonna run. And that's why this is critical and understanding who everyone on your team is and understanding yourself is because your inputs and outputs are different. And I like that, Alan, because shakers will say no to an idea if it's not their idea. A prover will say no to an idea because there's too much wrong with it. A maker will say no to an idea because you're just hurting my being and I just clean this place up and you're gonna come ruin it. And so that's why it's critical in this yellow light relationship because really they are the bridge to the entire team which are your provers and your movers. So I had said earlier, the input for a shaker is ideas. Output, I mean, input is reality. Output is ideas. Input for a mover is ideas. The output is the plan. The input for a prover is the plan, and they love to poke all the holes in it, and the output is reality. So you can run this process over and over, and we've got a training for you. Just stick with us all the way to the end um, that will give you everything you need in order to understand and learn why this process is so powerful and apply it with your teams. So a prover and a mover, the reason why they're critical is they see the world differently, but they understand that they need each other. So they deal with the intricacies of Eh, eh, it's not perfect, but you know what? I need I need the mover. Mover needs the prover. Did you want to add something, Alan? No, I think you got it. Okay. And the other piece of I think understanding the mover and the prover, and we we don't have the time to get into this today, uh, but it's I mentioned it briefly is ideation and implementation. What are we going to do? How are we going to get it done? 
one of the biggest challenges we run in is we don't have all these people in the meeting and the maker doesn't even come in until you get to implementation. And so what happens is you've got these early adopters that come up with these great ideas and then hand it off to all the later adopters and say, go do it. And that's why you run into that challenge. It's really critical that you run the process both in figuring out ideation, what are we going to do? And then implementation is how are we gonna repeat this process that we just got 100% buy-in on. Okay, so, oh, this is a good, you wanna quickly talk about the sales team and how they, uh, what they did when it was, and this is innovative guys, because one of the things is we go and we talk to teams and they're like, well, we just never done it that way. Especially when you get into 1099 employees, right? A lot of insurance companies, banks, financial advising companies, companies like that, when you really have a whole bunch of salespeople with a couple of support people running around. Yeah, so here are 10 salespeople. And you know, uh, you will find that uh, people's, uh, people's strengths, like a mover or a shaker or whatever, will kind of skew generally to the kind of work they're doing. You know, they're instinctively attracted to the right kind of work for them. So it would probably not a be not a surprise that out of 10 salespeople, and this is a media company, that nine of them were shakers. And, you know, they love to go see their clients, give them ideas and hope that they'll buy, you know, some time on their TV station or their radio station for it. And this was a television uh, group. And so they had nine shakers and one maker of all people. And each of them were required to write a follow-up letter to, uh, to their customers after they called them, you know, recapping the meeting, making their proposal clear and everything like that. And everybody hated this. Well, it's just like Sean and, and Peter, they uh, found out they didn't hate all their work and different people hated different parts of this. It turns out that there were two major parts to uh, following up with this letter. And whether it's an email or stamped letter, they all have the same thing. You have, what's the idea for the letter? What am I gonna say? And then how am I gonna get all the details done? And of course, if you think about it, nine shakers, they were each great at coming up with the idea. Uh, and it only took them about 10 minutes. And, uh, but it took them about 45 or 50 minutes to do all the detail of sending, editing, sending it out and getting the right address and so forth. That slowed them way down. Then we asked the maker and it was the opposite. It also took the maker about an hour to do the letter, but it was a different thing. What they were great at was the details. It only took them about 10 minutes to do the details, but it took them like 45 or 50 minutes just to come up with the idea because they have an idea and it's, oh, that's not right. Then they have another one that's not right. So all we did was just a little bit of a swap. We had each shaker spend 10 minutes coming up with the idea for their own letter. And then one of the shakers spent 10 minutes coming up with the idea for the maker's letter. Okay, so now you have 10 ideas for 10 letters. Then we had the maker do the details for all 10 letters. So again, 10 minutes per letter and 10 letters. Now what happened? The old way, each of them took an hour to write their letter, that's 10 hours. The new way, each of them took 10 minutes to get the idea and 10 minutes to do the details by swapping the work around, that's 20 minutes. In other words, 10 hours of work aggregate got cut to three hours and 20 minutes, about a third of the time, just simply by handing the work off. So that's the power of work swapping and that's how ideas can get implemented really fast. Mm -hmm. so. I love it. And I love that story. We've got several of them that are like that, but you find yeah. that often in sales teams where they don't realize they can leverage each other to yeah. do that because to come up with all the different aspects of what needs to happen. And in finance, this happened all the time where you had to go get the client, put the client name in the database, do all the detailed work with following up with them, meet with them to get the sales team, underwrite the deal, and then go get paperwork. It's like, to ask one person to be all those things, they didn't enjoy that. So you always ran into challenges in different part of the work with who was doing what part of that work. And so it's, I think it's critical, especially not only in sales teams, because most people are early adopters, but just change the way that you're thinking about work, right? You don't have to do all the pieces. In fact, you aren't good at all the pieces unless you're a oneer. And so 
Another myth we hear is you have to have a huge team. Now we have primarily worked with teams in the past, usually no more than like 40, because after 40, 100 people on the team, but you know, you can only have so many, really it's best to have the mover running around and facilitating this and teaching everybody it. It's not like it all happens with 100 people in a room, but we've heard this, especially now that technology is allowing us to reach out to a lot of different companies, is that you have to have this big team. And the truth is you can be a solopreneur, right? And using the Hoodoo method, you can use it with your remote team. Um, you can use it with your clients. You can use it with, if in the real estate industry, we just end up working with a really large real estate company. Same thing, they think they have to have this huge team and they might have one person for that office that they can depend on for some things. And you can either outsource for very little cost, you can uh, depend on your colleagues. The great thing about it is for me, I have a ton of shakers in my life and they love to do it so much, I just pick up the phone and call them. And, and that's all you need, but you do under, need to understand who you are, what your core nature of work is, who you can depend on for your core nature of work, and then ultimately after you understand that, that you need a team. Uh, the person that is gonna click the buttons on your uh, LinkedIn profile to make things happen is not going to be your star salesperson. It's just, it's, or it'll be very, very unlikely. So understanding that you need to cut the work into all these different pieces, and now probably more than ever with technology moving so quickly and trying to be agile, that you don't have to have this big team. We just worked with this large real estate company, and what did it cost, Kevin? It was 11, 11 hours of training with all of their technology. We were able to teach them how to adopt it, and it was less than $50 to outsource the entire setup of the entire process. You just have to change the way that you look at work and you have to change who you're going to with what part of the work. Because the most important thing is having the right people in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. And again, this doesn't have to be full time. You can have your keyword research person, you know, um, spend 20 minutes on it or your WordPress developer. We've really cut down work into so many fine lines that really finding the right person at the right time to do that right piece of work is absolutely critical. And when we get to our critical mass, we'll be sharing with what core natures of work are, but you guys got to help us with these assessment and get it validated first <laughs> before we can build a database. And if you're a mover, we want you in our database. We want to teach you the process. So it's not about having a huge team. It's, ha it's about having the right team. So this is a really funny story. Um, and Alan, you can chime in on this because this is probably one of the stories that Alan and I were sweating. We were working with a company, I think there were 62 employees. We probably had 20 of them in there and it was a large insurance firm. And we were working through the process and they had no movers in their entire team. So obviously it, was a blind, it wasn't a blinding flash of the obvious to us, but we knew why we were there because they couldn't get anything done and they had a whole bunch of people running around trying to do all the work. They were inefficient, they were ineffective, they were just challenged on so many different levels. So after we're running this process with ideation, we look around the room and we have no movers except for the receptionist. <laughs> And I don't even think she was full time. She might even been from a temp agency. I don't know. But I just remember Alan and I staring at each other going, well, this is going to be a testament to see if this works. And sure enough, she filled her position just like any mover typically would, pick the best ideas, set of ideas. She did a beautiful job with it. Um, and it was just proof that they weren't leveraging the team that they already had she would have loved to probably be in the meeting helping projects move forward. It's just that she was just a lowly receptionist. So she got to sit at the front, answer the phones. Yeah, it's interesting so too, because uh, the, the, the point of all of this is that your strengths and your talents, mover, shaker, prover, maker, are way more powerful than your job. And that's, that's really what's going on. And if we honor that, that all of a sudden things get easier, they get to be more fun, they get to be happier, and they get the performance way, way up. Yeah. They get done, which makes us and, uh, movers super happy. And we were going yesterday. for a theme line for the company, and the big idea came from somebody on the phone. It was a shaker who was driving in their car, and they said, well, what if we did blah, blah, blah? And, uh, and it was like, wow, that's what we've been looking for for five years. 
Exactly. Exactly. And the mover liked it, and that was key to the process. Yes, we should do this. We ran it right through the process from that point, and it flew. Beautiful. Well, and I love that your core nature of work is stronger than your job. Gosh, that's powerful. I don't think you've ever said that before, but that's exactly true. We cannot deny who we are. And when we are, there's a light sh shown on it and we're asked to be in that space, as long as we can acknowledge what everyone else is and utilize the process, it's a magical thing that ends up happening. And so typically you see one side or the other in this in business, and we got some funny slides here, is either you've got the chief idea killer all the way down to the director of um, bureaucracy. I think that one's my favorite, right? So you got all of these obviously later adopters, they're making a joke about it in the slide. And then of course, on the very bottom on the org chart, because again, this is function management. What we're talking about is moving from your function in an org chart to your core nature of work. But at the bottom there, I love manager of new growth ideas, vacant. Mm -hmm. So, or we do this opposite. So this is your later adopter leadership team. Now let's go to your early adopter leadership team. What's the big idea or what's the big campaign idea? We're going digital, Facebook, YouTube, a mobile app, Pinterest. What are we going to do in all those channels? I don't know. We'll figure that out later. <laughs> And there's the opposite of it. And so that's that fighting that ends up happening between, you know, the early adopters and the late adopters. And we haven't even identified the doers and thinkers, obviously, in this, because it's just kind of a funny thing that a lot of people can understand. They understand the stress of going into a meeting, having nothing happen when you come out, or the frustration of why the CEO comes in every other day with a new idea and the team is just completely tired uh, and they wonder why the, they want to call this uh, culture and and employee engagement and there's a ton of buzzwords that we put billions and billions and billions of dollars into for training and hold your seat we have not pushed the needle not even one percent not even one percent in, in 50 years not even one so we go and we like to make people feel good about who they are but yet if it's not putting a dent in getting things done with happier people and 100% buy-in, then you know I would vent, and that's we're not even getting into the technology that doesn't be, that is not used. There's billions and billions of dollars that we spend on technology, we never use it because we never run it through the process. We just throw Salesforce at a huge sales team, right? Without figuring out, well, how do we get them to utilize that? Because that tool is made for managers, not for most salespeople. Alan, did you want to piggyback on that at all? Um, no, I think you. Uh you did nail that and uh it's a complete complete different way to look at work and uh, if you want your people happier uh don't buy a ping pong table you know somebody always loses at ping pong but uh no one ever loses at hoodoo yeah and so the point here is really a relay team so, Alan, do you want to sign us off here with uh, the, the story of a oh, high well. school relay team? Yeah, you know, the world record for the, you know, those tracks these days are all metric. And uh, the track is about 400 meters. And uh, the world record for a single runner, uh, it's too long to sprint. It's too short to trot. You're going to get beat. So it's a tough race. World record's 43.19 seconds. A mediocre high school team, relay team, can do the same distance, but instead of a 400 meter, it's a four by 100 relay race. They can do that usually two or three seconds faster than the world record for the individual. Now, one of the things that's obvious is everybody runs shorter distances, but the same thing is true in our relay team. But the key in any relay race, you ask a track coach, is the handoffs. You don't want to drop the baton and you want to hand off to the right person. And believe me, it's very, very different the person who runs the last leg of the race because they're the, your sprinter than the person who runs the first leg of the race who's got their nose six inches from the ground waiting for a gun to go off and they don't want to scratch so they can't go early but they can't go too late or you'll lose the lead and uh, so they're quite different and then the second and third runners they have to hand off twice as much everybody's different and people are different put the right people in the right place doing the right thing at the right time and you can break the world record too
Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, joining us today. We're super excited that you've been along for the ride for the beta test and revolutionizing the way work is done. So we will make sure you all get access to a free two-hour uh, online training uh, that we, we put together this probably a year and a half ago. We've utilized it for our certifications and a whole bunch of different great stuff. And it will teach you this process. It will teach you ideation. We can't get into the inflammation too because it's important that you walk first. And just by utilizing what you're going to do, it will still be easier in getting things done. But we're actually working on the advanced course um, that will come after this particular course. But this training will teach you and the beta test will still be open for a while. So you know, use that link. Anybody on your team, try to figure out, are they a mover, shaker, prover, maker, and then utilize this training in order to teach you the exact step-by-step -step process. We play a really fun game in the training, and it's real, again, the game is real fun and funny, but we usually play at least three games with people before we throw something new at them, because we've done work a certain way for a certain amount of time and although this is easy it is easy it is easy to understand it is not a difficult process you know i would venture to say um it's not simple i mean it it's an easy process it's not a simple process so uh, but you will absolutely be excited that you did it you can ask us questions on that online training um and so i didn't want to take up any more time here since we are right at four o'clock yep we, we did have a couple questions Okay. Folks had, and I think you just answered one of them. That, well, Sarah and Patty, Patty had some similar ones, but uh, um, I think you just answered this, but I just want to make sure I address it since they did ask the questions. And, and Patty was saying, what do you mean by at the right time? Can you say how to do that? How can I learn the process? Well, that's perfect because that's what the online training is for. It will teach you and you will watch us actually do the process. We will walk step by step through what we call the Titanic game. And then you will see a live training that we did that shows the, the step by step facilitation of this process and why it's important to have every single core nature of work showing up in ideation of course though ask those makers they want to go back to their desk and do real work we let them do that every single time and they laugh everybody laughs because they're the people that never say anything new uh in a meeting in six years and then we wonder why and it's like just let them go back to their desk and do work and we go over that and we go over the le levels of innovation and all sorts of just deeper dives that you can utilize the assessment for one thing carla I think uh, too uh, about the right time is that people are born a natural starter or a natural finisher. So what do we do? We have the starters finish and we have the finishers start. It makes no sense. So change that little thing and things go way faster and way better. But what we do is, is show you how to change that in a way that accelerates things even more. And Alan, that's a really good point because if you go and look at time management, time management books, productivity, oh, yeah. they've got it all wrong. They're trying to say, be more of what you're not. Come on, just get it done instead of leverage who you are. And it's not all, I'm not gonna say all of it's not, all of it's, bad it's not it's great to know that but you know what's even better is going to the person that's going to do that part of the work and they're going to do it in a third of the time or half the time um that you can do it in like the letters okay. what's that? 10, minutes, 10 minutes 10 minutes 10 minutes is better than an hour an hour an hour an hour and then you get to value the team that's not like you too because there when we started it out in the beginning is people feel crushed for not being who they are, well, that makes zero sense. Let's shine a light of who they are and let them do the part of the work that that requires. Instead of, we've got tons of words that people call movers, shakers, provers, and makers for different reasons. And guess what? It's a lot easier to identify the negative ones, unfortunately. <laughs> and then the, the one last, uh, one other question here from Erin. Uh, she asked, does this apply to just your team? Uh, what about your clients and other folks? No, great question. This applies to any time you're trying to get work done, getting something accomplished. And so, and Aaron, you'll hear the law of diffusion of innovations has been used with customers, 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 which yes, you do want to find that initial 15% of the marketplace because they're going to be the ones that are going to adopt your 
you know, training or your service or your product, right? They are the ones that you're not going to have to completely have a, a complete system. They're willing to then take that step in that leap. The challenge with that is, is that you got to rewind and do it with your team and then move to your customer because your team is who's driving your connection with your customer. And what happens is even in your business, all of a sudden you decide, oh, in my business, I want to, you know, offer an online product and now I've got to do all of these things, right? Well, based off of who you are, to get that accomplished is like turning the tide. But unless you get it accomplished, you can never offer it to your customer. So it's about, it's, it's both and. And actually we don't even touch into this. The level three is to work with your B2B and your, uh, those who um, refer you. So people call them distribution channels. There's a whole bunch of different words that we call them in business, but that's then the advanced, advanced training on how you work with cross teams that are in your business, that it can be your customer, uh, your client, and basically anyone that's going to help you be successful in your business. Anytime you're dealing with people, you're dealing with the, this process or should be dealing with this process. We actually formed a team with a company whose responsibility it was to effectively buy our product. <laughs> it was so, so imagine that as, as the ultimate leverage. So it's our team, our company, and their company, and we help them buy our product, and it's their goal to buy our product. To I mean, run with the process. <laughs> yep, yep. And, and they were the ones who overcame, you know, or, or identified what was wrong. We overcame the challenges with it, and you run that process, run that process, your customer will sell themselves. Oh, yeah, they do. Yep. All right, anything else that popped up, Kevin? Uh, that's it. I'm really, uh, no, that's the only question that people have asked. Okay, perfect. Well, we do have, again, we'll get you this online training. You can ask questions on the online training and we are not going anywhere. If you want to feel free to share that beta test out. Uh, we're just going to be doing a beta test for a while during the validation study. Uh, and thank you again so much. We hope you enjoyed this you. training and we will see you on the other side. Thank you for listening to the People Catalyst podcast. And remember, it's a good life.